0: During the summer, uh, you probably all realised we had the hottest temperature ever recorded on uh, the UK's weather records. It got to 38.7 degrees um, in Cambridge, where we used to live, so we're quite grateful we'd moved by that stage. Um, and soon afterwards, I was reading about the heat wave that kind of happened over the summer as well in France, where um, it was sort of reckoned that about almost 1,500 deaths had occurred because of the heat wave that took place there. Uh, and I saw one report that said that if um, global temperatures rise by sort of 2 degrees by the time we hit 2050, it will be about 6 degrees warmer in the summer uh, in the UK, in London. And so that's sort of 45 degrees, which is getting really, really hot. Um, I much prefer the cool than the hot. So for me, that's a pretty scary statistic. Um, And for the first time, I was suddenly struck by the reality that all being well, um, Sarah and I will have a a child by then. And actually, we may even have a grandchild by the time we get to 2050. And for the first time, it suddenly struck me, what kind of of world are we going to be living in in 2050? Is it really going to be that warm? And what's that going to look like for our child and for maybe any grandchildren we have? And it was the first time I really began to pray about those issues. Greenpeace believes that if global temperatures rise by two degrees, we could lose up to 2% of the UK's land mass. The Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, the big UN body that assesses the science behind climate change, they released a report looking at what happens if we go up by only 1.5 degrees and said that there's going to be some really big impacts, and particularly on the poorest and most disadvantaged in the world. The temperatures are going to rise, and that's going to be particularly difficult for those who live on the equator where the temperatures are already really, really high. And it's going to mean that there are going to be harvests that don't succeed in the way that ours have. There are going to be harvests that begin to fail because of the weather. According to Tierfund, the consequences of climate change could push more than 100 million people back into extreme poverty, which is not just horrendous in itself, but particularly sad because over the last 20 years, we have seen the number of people who live in extreme poverty almost halve in the last 20 years. But over the next 10, that could start going backwards. So just before summer, when Tim asked me if there was a particular topic that I wanted to sort of preach a short series on, after some prayer and discussion with people, this really came to mind as something that is one of those big things that's happening in the world. And you know, a big part of me wants to go, what do I think about this? As a Christian, as part of the church, what do we, the church, think about this and what do we do about it? Because it's so big and it's so out there and we've got the kind of protests going on as well. So these three talks um, under the sort of the topic of um, the creation, crisis and the cross, what are we, we're going to think about what is it that we as a church, kind of how do we respond to this? How do we play our part um, in the sort of transformation, the social transformation of our world uh, when this is such a clear topic? And actually, it's great because there's so much that the church does have to say about this. Actually, there's a really clear thread throughout church history and the church's tradition of interacting with creation. You know, God created the world. That's the big starting point, isn't it? And then throughout Scripture, we see in the Old Testament, you know, there's a clear prerogative take care of your animals. Um, In Proverbs 12, uh, verse 10, we read that the righteous will care for their animals. Um, And then in the New Testament, we see, you know, Jesus using lots of imagery about creation, you know, the sower went to scatter his seed, and then he talks about, you know, that there are five sparrows aren't sold for two pennies, but your Lord remembers them all, and so won't he care for you as well. So there's a big theme throughout scripture of actually caring for creation. So this morning, looking at this passage, I want to take us back to the start. Why is creation broken? What's happened? How did we end up here when we've got protests and when we're worrying about the future of creation? And how is it that we went from being stewards who were kind of given creation to work in and to rule over to kind of sinners, you know, we taking the fruit um, and ending up with creation that's broken? So first, just thinking about stewards, If we look down in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord took uh, the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God took humanity and gave them creation to work it and to take care of it. Before we were given any other commission, any other commandment, we were given this one, to care for creation, to to work in it. And in Genesis chapter 1, immediately after God creates humankind, we read that, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Rule over, take care of, work the garden. That's the first thing that we are given to do as humanity. And how massive is that? How miraculous that we get to be involved in those purposes of God, of taking care of his creation. This is the stewardship we're given. But the wonderful thing about this stewardship is that we get to actually enjoy everything that we're taking care of. It's not a taking care of where you don't get to actually kind of embrace all that you're taking care of. So over the summer, Tim and Jan went away on holiday, which was fantastic. And Sarah and I uh, sort of looked after the house a bit. We just checked on it and made sure it was okay. And we watered their plants. Um, and when we watered their plants, that was we, we were taking care of their plants, but we didn't then nick their plants and take them home and plant them in our garden. You know, we were stewarding them, but they, they were kind of they were there. You know what I mean? Whereas if you rent a house from someone, you get to live in the house. You make it your own. You get to, When you steward it, it's not yours, is it? It belongs to the landlord, but you get to kind of embrace it and use it as your own. You get to receive the benefits of it. And it's the same with creation. We get to receive the benefits of creation. It's not just sort of taking care of it but never enjoying it. It's actually being able to embrace all that God has given us as we steward it. And isn't that an amazing thing? Over the summer, Sarah and I went, we then went on holiday, um, and we had five days in the New Forest. And um, I don't know if anyone's ever been there. It is an incredibly beautiful place. And uh, one day after we'd been to the seaside, sort of just a day out, we were traveling back. and. Um, the sun was beginning to set, and it was just the most glorious day and We thought actually we could we could go and watch the sunset. so we just headed off for the nearest hill in the car, found a car park on top of the hill, got the rug out, sat down, some chocolate raisins to keep us going and and we just sat there and we just looked at the sunset and it was incre- it was actually incredibly moving. I know I get emotional at the best of times, but it was really, it was really moving to just sit there and look at this incredible. Um, I was trying to find a photo, and I couldn't. But we we had um, horses, you know, wild horses in, in, the, in the New Forest, just sort of wandering around. Uh, beautiful grass and countryside and trees, and the sun began to just set, and we just watched it until it had gone all the way down. There is such joy to be had in embracing the good gifts of creation. And it is so abundant, isn't it? It's, we have such an abundant God, we've got all of this stuff here, but if we think about the whole of creation, how beautiful it is, how varied. Just as the sun had gone down, all the horses began neighing to each other, which was really random. We didn't have a clue what was going on, someone can tell me afterwards. But, but it was like, why is that happening? No one's here to like, it's just us here to see it. You know, and, and it's like, why, why is something so wonderful? And I kind of almost felt like God say, you know, why not? And on Blue Planet 2 last year, and anyone see that? The kind of um, amazing documentary looking at wildlife. And um, there was this incredible episode where they dove deep down into the, um, into the ocean and they went down further than you know, any human being could really ever go normally. And there were hundreds of animals and species of wildlife down there. And again, it's like we barely ever knew that this stuff existed until we had sort of submarines that could get down there. And again, this is so abundant. God didn't need to create all of this, and yet he did. There was such a beauty and abundance to creation. And so I just find it incredibly humbling that God would say to to me, to us, here is this abundant creation. I want you to take care of it. I want you to steward it. And yet, we kind of struggle to be content with it, don't we? I know I do. I struggle to believe that God really is that generous and gives so freely. And Despite the abundance that I see around me, I know that there are times when I want more. And I think that's the point from which we go from being stewards to sinners. It's in chapter 3 we read that there was only one tree, only one tree from which Adam and Eve could not eat. But then, as um, they're tempted, that we read in verse 6, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired, to make one wise, she took the fruit, ate it, and then Adam ate it as well. The only thing, the one thing that they were told not to take, they take, despite all that they've been given. They get to name the animals. They get to embrace all the creation that God has given. And yet still there's one thing that they want to take. And I think that has so many resonances with uh, the issue that we're really struggling with in climate change, which is overconsumption. There's always that one more thing we want. There's always something else that we want to take, even though we've got so much. And I know that in my own heart. We've got all the resources of the earth at our disposal in many ways. We've got more than enough food for us in this country often. But for many of us, like Adam and Eve, we're so easily drawn to focusing on what we don't have we spend time daydreaming about the things we want to buy or to go and get. And this was really brought home to me by um, a vicar we uh, knew in East London who talked about how in today's world, on the global stage, um, we often in this country um, would be in sort of the top 1 to 2 to 3% of global wealth. So we would be the, the wealthiest in the world. You know, in the UK, we might think we're sort of middling. but. In the world stage, we're really up there in the top few percent of wealth. And yet we spend so much of our time looking up at the 1% above us than we do remembering the 99% who are underneath us. When I was 16, I went to Kenya with my church and uh, my dad and my mum and my brother and uh, a little team from our church. And while we were out there, we visited fairly rural parish churches uh, in a region which um, our church had links with. And uh, on the weekends, my brother and I uh, went out to um, some of these villages and sort of 4x4s four and seeing overturned vehicles on the sides of the road and getting quite scared. But we went and stayed with these uh, families, and we would just live with them and as they did. Um, and I'd never seen real poverty before, certainly not like I saw in Kenya. And... In one of the places we stayed, they had no sewage, they had no, there was a tap, the running water came from a tap outside, electricity was from a car battery, um, food, they killed us a chicken so that we could have chicken stew for dinner, which they cooked over a fire. And yet, like I imagine many of us who've been to that part of the world, the thing that struck us so much was how joyful and how generous and how hospitable they were, even though they seemingly had so little in comparison to us. We came back from Kenya, and all of us had sort of reverse culture shock. I remember Dad telling me a story about how he walked into Waitrose, saw everything, and just had to sort of turn around and walk out. It was just overwhelming—the sense of oh my goodness, how much have we got? And I went straight back to boarding school, and was really struck by some of the attitudes there towards just like how life should be. You know, we should we should be able to get all this stuff that we want. And I was really struck and quite shocked, and sort of thought, gosh, you know, was that me? And yet, five, six weeks later, that had begun to wear off. I was back to where I'd been beforehand. I was sort of getting frustrated when there wasn't enough hot water and when the supermarket had run out of stock of my favourite snack and was beginning to complain about all these really quite trivial things because I'd just forgotten about the 99% who actually have sometimes a lot more joy than I do, even though they have a lot less. I think the biggest challenge for us with climate change is consumption and waste. How much of the Earth's resources will we continue to consume? Will we continue to consume oil, fossil fuels, minerals that have an incredibly high environmental humanitarian cost? Will we keep buying cheap clothes even though we suspect that maybe they weren't made in the best conditions? Will we keep using the car for short journeys even though we probably could cycle or walk? Keep buying food that's transported thousands of miles to get to us? Keep eating as much meat And we know that the global livestock industry is one of the biggest contributors to climate change issues. So many of these things are like the fruit that Adam and Eve saw. They saw it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, to be desired. And yet increasingly we're becoming aware that our consumption levels are too high to be sustained, that our lifestyles are having a negative impact sometimes on the rest of the planet and on our global family. And I know that i felt in my life the Lord kind of beginning to stir a conviction of how can I begin to shift my lifestyle to reduce the impact that I have on creation and on others. So, how do we begin to face some of the challenges that are affecting creation? And today there are just three things that I want to mention. Don't hide. Don't hide from the issues. Journey together. We do this together. And three, fall in love again with creation. And the reason I mention don't hide firstly um, is because I I feel like we see that so clearly in this passage. there may be some of us here who dispute some of the stuff that I've said about climate change and I'm not going to tell you you're straight up wrong because I don't know enough. I've done some research for this. Um, I've looked into reports. I've tried to um, get my sort of knowledge up and I've also chatted to uh, Tom Micklewright. Um, Tom is at the back here. I'll mention him a bit more later. Um, Tom works for Greenpeace and has been helping me with some of the research. So I don't, want to tell, I don't want to start getting into that argument now. Um, and neither am I here to dictate how you should live your life. We each have to make those decisions before God. But what I do think is my job as a clergy person, um, and it sometimes terrifies me, is to encourage us not to do what Adam and Eve did, which is to hide. I don't want us to hide from the issues, and I don't want us to hide from what God might be saying to us when it comes to this. Adam and Eve hid as soon as they had taken that fruit and they they hid from each other they hid their nakedness and they hid from God and it is really easy to hide from this stuff you know if we're not 100% sure about it why shouldn't I kind of carry on as I am why shouldn't I i've always traveled by plane as much as i have why should i consider changing that i've always eaten me. why should i consider changing that But instead of hiding from some of these issues, I want to suggest that we do the opposite, which is to open ourselves up to them, to begin to engage with them, and to open ourselves up to God. What is God saying to us about his creation? And then begin from that to work out exactly what we do. Some of us will have health conditions, which mean we need to eat dairy and meat. That's, you know, I'm not gonna say that's wrong. Some of us have jobs which require extensive air travel or extensive driving. We're all gonna face difficult challenges but maybe God's speaking to us in a way that in the midst of those challenges, we might hear his inspiration to do something amazing that would impact the way that the rest of our global family live. Fundamentally, the first thing we need to do is adopt a repentant posture, an open one instead of a hiding one. I'm so not where I'd like to be with some of these issues. Please don't think for a second that I'm like the biggest eco-warrior going. I'm not. I'm trying to get there and I'm hoping to get better as it and I'm longing for God's help with that as the battle rages in my own heart about how much I eat and what I eat and where it comes from. But I know that if I hide from God's conviction, I'm also going to be hiding from his blessing. I'm also going to be hiding from intimacy with him that is the one big thing that is going to help me change and help me to begin to live in a way that really cares for creation. And there's going to be a journey, isn't there, for each of us as we work through this. We're not going to be there yet, but we are going to be aspiring and working together to get there. At New Wine, I picked up a copy of uh, Ruth Valerio's book, L for Lifestyle, um, which has got loads, really short chapters looking at loads of different ways that we might be able to change our lifestyle and care for creation better. And uh, Janet Murphy has very kindly managed to stock some, so there should be some downstairs in the bookstall. So that might be one way you want to engage is by picking up a book or look on her website, Ruth Valerio's website. Um, loads of good ideas for beginning to get the nitty-gritty practical stuff of how this might work for you. So we um, don't hide, we open ourselves up to God. And secondly, we respond together um, although I said, you know, each of our individual responses might be different depending on where we are in life and what we're doing, we share that commitment together for wanting to be good stewards of creation. We share that commitment to wanting to um, do what we can to make sure that creation is is cared for. And um, so Tom, at the back, Tom give us a wave. Uh, Tom's been working to set up a green team at Christchurch. So we now have a little team of people who are beginning to work out some of the ways where we as a church family might be a bit Greener, um, and uh, he's been putting together some proposals, uh, and they went to the PCC recently who unanimously agreed all of those proposals, and I'll be mentioning different ones of them in the next few weeks. And the has also allocated a budget, we wanted to put our money where our mouth was, and so we've given them a budget to go away and begin to work some of these into action. And uh, there are just two that I'd like to mention today. And the first is that um, Tom has produced a a study, kind of a life group study material. So at some point after one of these talks, instead of life group questions, you'll get a life group sort of study. And so life group leaders, uh, keep an eye out for that. And if that works with your group, then that's something that you can take and have discussions with your group. Where are we at with this? Do we agree with it? Do we not? What are we going to try and maybe do to care? And better for creation. And secondly, we are wanting to commit as a church to reducing our single-use plastic um, and uh, single-use waste. So there is now um, an online pledge um, that we will send out or put on the website. Um, so you can sign up to say, I pledge to bring a water bottle or a travel mug with me on Sunday mornings, just a simple way of using less um, kind of paper and plastic cups after the service. So um, I've got my water bottle that needs a rinse and a wash because it getting a bit stiff, but um, yeah, do bring your uh, water bottles, do bring your coffee mugs um, so that actually we don't have to keep um, just throwing out so many um, plastic cups at the end of each Sunday. Um, so yeah, Tom, massive thank you to you and the green team for beginning to get this underway. <laughs> And finally, the other key way I think we can begin to care for creation better is by falling in love with it more. Um, I've already mentioned our trip to the new forest, but we have uh, the high-wheeled area of outstanding natural beauty on our doorstep. We have the Ashdown Forest. we can really meet with God in creation. We can really sense his love when we see the abundance of what he's given us, and we can really find his presence. So maybe this week, where is it that you're already, you're already you might be walking somewhere, you might be on the train, can you look out the window and just take a few moments to realise that God has given us so much in creation? Can you, um, this might sound a bit weird, but one thing I like doing is just If I pass a bush, I'll just actually just take a leaf off the bush and just hold it. Just something that connects me with creation, just kind of to feel the texture of something, just to feel um, connected with creation. Just taking a minute to look at squirrels playing in the park. Just taking a minute to look up at the stars on the way home from a meeting and just to revel in creation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that, Even if people have never heard about God, when they look at creation, they will see some of his eternal qualities in all that he has made. They will see his eternal power and his divine nature when they look at the abundance of creation. It is not too hard to find God when we look at creation, but we will need to listen. We'll need to take those few moments to stop and notice all that he's given us around us to notice a flower and to maybe um, go up and just smell the fragrance of it, to uh, stroke a cat on our way home, um, to to somehow engage whatever it might be to you. You might all think I'm totally nuts by now, but what is it that will help us to really just notice the beauty? of what God has given us, to fall in love with creation and to actually find within us a joy rising that means we really do want to care uh, for creation and join with God in caring for creation. So shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this harvest, uh, these offerings that we've been able to give to you. Um, And Lord, we thank you for the way in which you've given so much to us. Lord, would you help us this week to take note, to just see the beauty of your creation around us, to see um, something in our day that reminds us that um, you love us and you've shown that in how much you've given us in creation. Help us to learn to see the beauty that there is. And Lord, would you be speaking to us as we go on this journey of, uh, today and the next two uh, kind of talks, thinking about what it means to care for creation and your plans for creation. Speak to us about how we, can care with you for all that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen.